Hello and welcome to Smosa Chats, where every week I, comedian Preet Singh, will host a guest who has challenged South Asian norms, whether that be through pursuing a passion as a career or devoting their work to challenging the status quo and taboos within our communities. So sit back, grab a smosa, and enjoy. Hello, so we're here with Calbeer Baines. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, did you find the offices and everything fine? Smosa Chats HQ? Yes, I did. Excellent, cool. So we're here, obviously, you're the author of... Not our daughter, the true story of a daughter-in-law. Excellent. And that, it does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Documents your story as a daughter first and then a daughter-in-law second. Yes. So if we recap very briefly, what, the, what is the book actually about? Um, it's a journey about a girl who goes through marriage and then as she's going through the journey of marriage of meeting potential bachelors, dives into a bit of a history of her mum's journey, her nan's journey, and then going through the whole process of um, trials and tribulation of an arranged marriage through to becoming a divorcee. Right. That was very succinct. Uh, I read the book. Uh, I could not put it down. I read it in about two and a half days. Right. Okay. It is fucking unbelievable. Like I can't believe like the story and everything, and then obviously the outcome as well. You're here, you're good. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. But I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I think it is a cultural taboo as well. Um, um, there's a lot of things that I've covered in there which are cultural taboo. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get mixed up thinking it's religious as well and kind of get it mixed up. For me, it's cultural and it's something I felt like generation of women before me need to talk about. And nobody was breaking that silent to actually raise their voice and talk about it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And one of the first highlighted notes I made in the book, and I sent it over to you as well, was that this is not a religious issue. No. It's a cultural issue. <laughs> yeah. And obviously it comes out through the book. You're a fairly religious person. Um, I wouldn't say I'm religious. I'm spiritual. But I've got, had like, obviously growing up with my nanny in the household and my mom. And nanny being um, an orthodox Amrit Shakya. Mm-hmm. You know, so she's very much about the Guru Adi every night. A page of Sokhamani Saab every night before bed. Yeah. I've grown up with all of that. Um, but I've taken elements that I find beautiful in my life today. Gotcha. Excellent. So to, to, to recap just a little bit further, so you went through uh, a marriage which definitely was not a healthy marriage. No. You were effectively living, you married into the Gestapo basically. Yeah. Yeah, you were living with a bunch of SS, KGB level militant people. Um, I didn't know I was going to be living with those kind of people because um, it was an arranged marriage and I actually... They sold me a product that wasn't actually, you know, I didn't read the small print on the tin, shall we say? Yeah. And it was a different kind of product sold to me until I got married. And then I discovered, like, there's a lot more to life um, under their roof. Yeah. Under the Purry Walls roof, shall we say, in the book. Purry Walls book. I love that as well. The, the, the ingenuity of just coming up with fake Punjabi names. <laughs> like, I don't know how you just wasn't like, hey, I'm going to snitch on all of the family. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, I had to, I had a friend who was a journalist who checked the book for me. Um, I've done everything... Um, correct in the manner where she checked the whole process and said look there's a process where they could sue you if mm-hmm. you're sharing um, your own journey so I had to change everyone's name identity and everything so my name in the book is Harleen and I have put at the beginning of the book that it's inspired by true events which it is and it's my own journey yeah my personal how long did it take you to take because we discussed this over the phone initially didn't we how long did it take you to actually come out and be like okay this is my story it's not Harleen's story, it's my story. Um, I was even towing it up until the day of the book launch. I wasn't sure if I wanted to say it's my journey because I didn't know how people are going to take it until, I don't know, the last minute at being at the book launch at Ernest & Young, I just decided, do you know what? I'm just going to say it's me. And I felt comfortable because looking at the room full of people, I thought, I'm just going to be me. I'm in a safe space. And that made a massive difference for me. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's a confined space where people have been invited to this. They know what they've come to here to talk about or listen. Um, and I just opened up. And when I did do that, it, it made me feel so comfortable in the sense where there was other people in the room that were opening up with their stories and journeys. Yeah. So it was just once I opened up, you saw 
like almost like a web of spiders of people just standing up in the room and sharing different parts of their journey from their parents from their grandparents to their own journey different genders as well so there was girls and guys sharing their story in the room which made me feel really comfortable guys had similar stories yeah i think there was guys that actually had noticed things you know what their mothers had gone through what their grandmas had gone through what they've seen in living in a joint family unit at home yeah that makes a difference Gotcha, gotcha. How much, so obviously your story, and we obviously buy the book as well, we're not going to take you over the actual, the full story, but how much of your story is actually, do you think is influenced by culture? How much of it is influenced by culture? Because obviously um, issues that you raise, like domestic violence and emotional abuse, things like that, perm, like they go through throughout cultures, they permeate all yeah. societies. But would you say there is something in our own culture and the South Asian community as a wider community that needs to be addressed? See, I think overall where, like, if you look at just domestic, I call it domestic violence, not abuse. They've toned it down by calling it abuse. Right. Now, domestic violence doesn't discriminate against gender, against your background, against your, you know, um, what, how educated you are or anything. It's domestic violence at the end of it or abuse. And, you know, if you're going to be affected by that, you're going to be affected by that. And also, if you, if you look at, like, I mean, fair enough, within the culture, there's not many cultures that do arranged marriages now. Yeah. And that's where I kind of touched on to the royal family and looking at that and saying, look, they used to, used to go on in Elizabeth period time. So all it is, it's been washed out in the English, you know, um, community, yeah. whereas though it happened in, during Elizabeth period time to strengthen bloodlines, cultures, communities. And again, the same thing with the Punjabi community. It's wanting to know that, you know, you're finding a suitable match for your kids, which they feel is a great suit. And, you know, you're going to, the families are going to be compatible. Everyone's going to get on, you know, you're strengthening bloodline and things like that. Do you think arranged marriage should be washed out in our culture? I think it is being washed out. There's a massive shift where because people are finding their own partners, people are dating out of race. You know, there's none of this as Back in the 70s and 80s and even early 90s, there was that whole thing where, you know, the pressure of you having to meet a partner that has to be the same religion and same caste. Yeah. And I think even growing up myself, I saw there was the caste thing was washing out. And even now with what I've been through, it's really challenged everyone in my family. And I've had those conversations where I've said that I'm coming home with whoever I'm happy with. As yeah. long as that person treats me as a human being will go a long way. But it's taken for me to get married and divorced for the ch- challenge that behavior within my family unit. But there's also people that have challenged it outside of marriage. And I think, you know, you're seeing that your kids' happiness comes into it more than anything else. Yeah, I think especially the caste thing, the religion thing, I can kind of, again, I don't agree with it, but I... I I kind of understand it. I empathise with it. But the caste thing to me has always been so fucking silly. Like, imagine now. Like, imagine they were like, okay, if, 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 if this one is a podcaster. Yeah. You can only marry podcasters from future. Okay, that's, the, that's it. Finish. And like, I always think that that's so silly. Like, now, like, oh, he's a, he's a farmer. That's going to be the person. That one works with wood. You're going to marry wood, wood-making people. I just said, well, to be honest, I never got it when I was at uni because when I was at university and when I lived away from home, I found where, you know, this whole thing in India, I mean, that's another thing with caste. I didn't know what caste I was, I'm going to be honest with you, until I turned, I think it was when I was about 14 at secondary school and some guy came over and asked me what caste I was. <laughs> and I came home and I went, Mom, when me and my twin sister both went, Mom, what caste are we? Because we got asked at school. Yeah. And it was then I discovered there was a caste system. So up until then, I was quite oblivious to all that behaviour. Right. I didn't even think it, like think what caste I was or what background. All I knew was I'm Sikh. Right. That's about it. So, and then I saw it more evident when you're growing older in the sense when you get to college and university, someone's asking you what caste you are. Are you legible to date? Yeah. Are you taking the tick box to date? And when I used to get guys come and ask me that, I deliberately wouldn't give my surname away. I deliberately would tell them I'm a different caste because I yeah. thought, you're not worthy for me to even date you or even be with you. Bro, you, well, we had different, totally different upbringings. Like my parents were always like, oh, don't sec, huh? But also jot. But don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But when I was, I remember like growing up and that whole thing, because my mom was a single parent, the pressure where, for me, was a privilege to have the education, you know, that my mom trusted me to go to uni. So there was a lot of girls yeah. I met at uni, which, whose parents, like, for them, it was freedom from, away from home. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to have that freedom because mom had given us that freedom on the front door where we were allowed to wear makeup, we were allowed to wear whatever clothes we wanted, cut our hair, do what we wanted to do. Yeah. Because she had to have that relationship being a single parent with us. And she said, that Punjabi saying university like I'm sending you to uni yeah. with trust do not damage my trust because once you've lost my trust you've lost everything mm-hmm. and because of that I had that freedom there and also 
I got that, you know, when you're at uni where don't look at boys when you're at college, at university, but we'll hit 25, now you're marriage material, haven't you got a boyfriend, what is yeah. going on? And yeah, you're like, yeah. are you kidding me? Now yeah, you expect me to just miraculously bring some guy up from the surface and now I'm ready. And then it was like, he has to be Sikh, he has to be Jat. And I was like, are you... And I did challenge them with that. Yeah, one of one of one one of the you. I think you've hit on something quite interesting. One of the notes that I made when reading your book, and it was just a thought that came. I was I was on the I was on the tube and I was like thinking about like the relationships and aspects and stuff, and with your ex. And I was thinking we as like a community or, or whatever. And I don't want it to sound like I'm being overly cri- critical because there's huge positives in our culture, right? Yeah. Massive. But I do think there is this like viewpoint that you shouldn't be dating before marriage that you shouldn't be in relationships i think that that is actually detrimental when it comes to those that when you're 25 26 having serious relationships because you never learn how to treat people in a relationship you don't know how it feels like to be in a relationship yes because you're going from for one thing i learned in my process was i'm i date i actually did date but i never got intimate with anyone is the one thing that I really made sure I kept a fine line on. It was just something I felt comfortable wanted to do. Personally. Basically, Cabin, what you're saying is you never learn how to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get sexually active, shall we say, in the most lightest way. <laughs> you were trying to keep this veneer I was one of those good Indian girls, like, you know, what's Karma Sutra? I don't know what that's all about. Oh, was it created by the Indians? Okay, turn the page. Oh, where's the TV control? <laughs> the sexual sequels on TV. Mm. And back yeah. then, it was very much... And I think you've got to remember... We're talking the early 21st century. I mean, I'm showing my age here now, like, and um, I went to uni late 90s. So, you know, back then it wasn't, the culture was slightly different. Yeah. Whereas the parents and people have become more open now and they can talk about things. Um, where then it wasn't, and it was that whole thing. And I think I gave my mom that respect that she sent me away to uni with so much trust. I don't want to jeopardize that trust. That yeah. was far more important to me. Um, so she knew, I, like I had expressed to her, I was dating someone at uni and I told her that. Mm-hmm. And she was like, right, okay, would you see yourself getting with him? I'm like, I'm not sure yet and things like that. We had those conversations. Like my sister was, you know, with her partner for four years, living with him. My mum knew about that. None of the community did, right? Yeah. So she was living with him for four years. And you've got to be, there was an element of my mum to believe that, no, they're living together, but they're not sharing a bedroom together. Yeah. You know, Indian parents like to have that. You let them have that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But there was also pressure on me where, because she'd done that, it was like, please don't do that. Because it killed her to, because she's given us so much freedom that you're going to be living with a guy before marriage. I don't want that from you. I'd like you to meet the guy. And then, and I think when you live with them, is another story altogether as well because you learn so much about a person until you live with them you don't know them dating is one element and getting to know them but once you're living with that person day in day out you learn so much about their habits as well yeah and like just the overall compatibility i guess so always yeah so i've always been like pretty anti like the traditional punjabi like way of like look you date in secret and then one day you come home and say look marriage that's done like I've never, I've never like prescribed up to that, and like, I, I think it's, it's it, you lose valuable experience, man. Like, what, what if you're going to be with somebody in like 30, 40 years? You've got to know you're compatible. Yes, exactly. And that's something that I think once I went through the arranged marriage process, I learned that I didn't know the person I was marrying really. I didn't know him at all. And whereas when my sister came home, my twin, she'd, I remember like when she was having that conversation with my mom and mm. my mom said are you sure she said mom i even know the way he wants his cup of tea in the morning yeah you know i couldn't sit there and say that because i didn't know how he wants his cup of tea or what his favorite food was until i got married and i learned it all yeah even though you know to a certain point you don't know someone until you're actually getting to know them really dating them and living with them what's that like first few weeks like that first few weeks of where you're married you're now married to somebody that you hardly know right no, no, it is. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you hardly on. know and then like you're also now living with the family because i i'll be honest even when we go on holiday i say to my parents like when we go to india and stuff and we're staying with like a family or whatever i'm like look you got three days to keep me with somebody else and then i'm done yeah like i can't do it i can't even staying with like friends and stuff like i'm like oh man we're going to berlin in a few days and i'm already not looking forward to sharing a hotel room for four days okay um I think at that time I did appreciate my own space as well as I 
I was very family orientated as well. Mm-hmm. So I love family around me. And, you know, that's one of the things, elements. I think the reason I wanted that was because my mum and dad were divorced and we never had my father's side of the family. Yeah. And I kind of felt like I always missed out. And I wanted my kids, my next generation, to have both grandparents. So even if I was living in a joint family, that wasn't a, a problem for me. I wanted that choice. I wanted to meet a guy that wants to live with his parents. Right. Because I wanted to have a good relationship with his parents. Tomorrow when I have kids, I want my kids to have both grandparents. That was important to me because something I never got, I wanted my kids to have. Right. Um, so that wasn't an issue. It was just, there was funny <laughs> elements though. Um, I remember coming back from our honeymoon and my ex-mother-in-law thinking it was so romantic to set our bedroom up for us. And there's <laughs> candles and there was flower petals. And I'd walked into this thinking, oh my God, like really? Are you going to do this for real? And this is like one of those Bollywood films where like I'm waiting for the Swagarad song to come on or something. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is she on? And she was like, I picked your bed sheets and you know, I hope you like the colour. I was like, that part mortified me. Or when... When obviously you're living in a joint family and there was this one occasion we were making out in the shower and the father, father-in-law father shouts from the garden and you're like, is he in the bedroom? <laughs> oh, dear God. Right? <laughs> they were the awkward moments. But then there was benefits as well living with a family. Yeah. Like, you know, if you want to do something or you want to, um, you know, like you've got family gathering, you know, there's pros and cons with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've got to say, even though... The relationship never worked out there. I've got some really good fun memories with the family as well as bad memories. Um, And, you know, like I remember the one time I was working late in the study and I thought it'd be fun because I'm I'm quite a lively person. Before I even got married, I was a lot more lively as well. And I decided to put some heart-shaped chocolates in my father-in-law's lunchbox. Uh, And leave him a little love note from my mother-in-law. Yeah. And um, ex-mother-in-law right now, but the mother-in-law at the time. And um, what happened was... He'd got to work and that, apparently that same week was their civil ceremony wedding anniversary and he thought he'd forgot. So he then turned around and he went, he's panicking at work. He's got her flowers. Yeah. He's got her chocolates. He's gone and picked up some perfume. He's stressing to all his work colleagues. They've all <laughs> helped him out. He's got home. He's showering her with love. She's thinking he's lost the plot. <laughs> and then she's like, what the hell's going on? And he's there like, well, you, you dropped some heart-shaped chocolates in my lunchbox with a love note, didn't you? And he's, she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, she's playing hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. I see how this is going. <laughs> and um, then the, when I got home from work, because I used to work in the East Midlands at the time and lived down south, so obviously leaving the house six o'clock in the morning, getting home at nine o'clock. When I got to the door, they were like, have you done something, Galvid? And I was like, what, what, and what? And everyone's looking at me and I'm like, why, what's happened? And they goes, and my ex-mother-in-law was like, he's bought me flowers and he's got me this and that. And she goes, no, I didn't write him any love note, but he got a love note in his lunchbox. I got to did he though? What did you put in the note? <laughs> Played along with it. And then I was like, yeah, I did it. Oh man, that's two evenings we're in. Like, what the hell? All day, he's probably thinking, okay, I'm going to get some booty, okay? When I go home, like, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to lay it down, right? And then the mother-in-law was thinking, oh, okay, cool. Like, we got this I'm going to have an easy night tonight. Yeah, I know. She's like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, she got her best suit out, everything. She got spoiled though. She got yeah, all three. She's right. She's, she's loving life. So there's like fun parts as well as the interfering parts as well. Hey How man, do you get that? No disrespect, but if I went if I went through something that you went through, anything similar like that, fuck the fun part. <laughs> like, no, they just no. don't even register. You um, there was like a lot of interfering where if you even wanted to go to like a night out, like using example, we were going out um in London in Central London James's um street, and even just telling them we're going to go out as a couple, it was mm. like a big deal. It was like okay, so what time are you going to go? What time are you going to come back? Who can, you know, why are you going to go there alone, the pair of you as a couple? And you're like, as a married couple, you can't even go out. Yeah, that was something that I found. So I do know like a bunch of like pretty traditional families, right? I do, like they're rife in our community. I'd even go so far as to say my parents fairly traditional. But that level, that was one thing that got me where I was like whole, like the most traditional family I know would not be that. Traditional. Cra- no, I wouldn't even say it's traditional, it's fucking mental. <laughs> like, you're being so nice and shit. Nah, fuck that family, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just very much, it was controlling, coercive behaviour as well. And what I found was with that, before we got married, they sold a product to me where, oh, we're so westernised, we won't mind if you kids went out, we don't mind what you guys do. As soon as we've got married, and it was like, again, 
in the first few weeks, let's go bowling together as a family. Let's go to what, see a, a film together. And you just think that's normal. It's fine. It's yeah. okay. You're doing a family thing. Then it came to the point where, oh, okay, well, we want to go out as a couple. What do you mean you want to go out as a couple, like the pair of you alone? Or if I was going out, again, I couldn't have any of my friends in my company, but I had to hang out with his friends. Where do you think that came from? Like, What originated that? Because like I said, even culture, I can't see that being... I saw it from my ex-father-in-law. He never allowed my ex-mother-in-law to go anywhere or do anything by herself. So mm. there was either a trust issue from there from the beginning. Um, like she'd worked for, I was working for M&S at the time and I was a designer for the company with a supply base. So she yeah. worked on the shop floor for M&S and she'd never been to a Christmas party. So I challenged that behavior whilst I was there. So I said, oh, you're going to go to your Christmas party this year and I'm going to go to mine. And again, they had a wedding, their 30th wedding anniversary and her birthday. And for her birthday, I bought her a ticket to see Jagjit Singh live in concert with yeah. her friends. He then questioned me and said, how dare you book tickets for her to go out with her friends? Mm. And it was something she'd expressed to me that she's never done since she's been married, like hang out with a lot of her friends because she's always done things with him. Yeah. Which is, for me, it's healthy in a relationship to do things with your partner as well as do things with your friends. Yeah. You know, because you have your own personality as well as you have the time together as a couple. It shouldn't be just about doing everything as a couple. And because I find that over overbearing way overbearing too much yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah can't breathe yeah, oh yeah yeah no i was reading the Especially book when you're living in a family unit you can't breathe anyway i keep telling you i was reading the book and it was like, like what the fuck is going on like, i had to put it down a couple of times just to return to normality like yeah it was just it was absolutely like intense but then going back to your childhood i know we're time hopping a little bit here but then you again you cover this in the book as well do you reckon your relationship or your your mum's relationship with your dad had any bearing on your like experience i guess see i dated before that but i never had a bad relationship in the sense where and like they say there's it's proven statistically if you've seen domestic violence at home and abusive parents arguing you are likely to be 68 percent chance of falling into one of those relationships and he has nothing to do with what background the person's from right naturally you're going to be one in like you know 68 percent chance of falling into that trap mm. and i didn't know that until later on obviously after i've gone through everything i've done my research like researching through the book and speaking to qualified social workers if i'd known that I would have done things so differently, you know, before even getting married or settling down, I would have looked into things and, you know, just recognized some of the patterns and thought, how can I change them? How can I break away from those patterns? Yeah. I would have done things differently. And I've, as I didn't know, I had to learn the hard way to go through my own experience to then break away from that cycle of generational women before me that have yeah. gone through that hardship. Um, it was that more than anything else. And also seeing dad and mum arguing constantly I knew what kind of relationship I wasn't looking for and I didn't mm -hmm. want a relationship like I said the reason for living with in-laws was you know I wanted to have my children to have you know both grandparents because it, it meant so much to me that I lost out so I made certain choices in life um, and kind of partners I was looking for was because of things I'd lost out in my childhood yeah. but I wouldn't say I've had a bad childhood because I've had a fantastic childhood yeah and you, I think you do well to like highlight that in 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 the book like you go over a couple of positive positive bits with your mom and like yeah. your relationship with your mom and how that developed um obviously the closeness that you two had um because it's just weird obviously today we were saying we, this is the second domestic violence podcast like it's being being covered and i was i was, I was googling stuff in, in in prep for it and there was something that basically said that children who go through stuff like like this where it's emotional abuse or domestic violence they like suffer in some cases they suffer from ptsd and it's like, phew, like that's the level it goes into, and it, it, yeah, it, it just makes makes you think. Just a little fun fact. It does, and that's the thing: it's finding out like where, how far, what issues are you going through, and have they had any psychological impact on you, and you know how are you going to deal with them going forward? Because once I come out of that relationship, I made a choice that actually I'm going to work on me for a change. I'm going to learn to understand me better, and understand that I need to fill myself up first with maybe knowledge, love, everything. And then I can go out there finding a relationship. And after that, I've got to say, I've been lucky enough not to fall into a bad relationship. I've had relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those men have contributed to my journey today. 
they've made me the person I am as well and I'm very grateful to those guys that I've dated afterward and you know they've brought the best out of me yeah you know and one in particular the one relationship I was dating for four and a half years he was one of the guys that actually encouraged me to write the book you know and was there through the whole process of it Mm. Um, and that means a lot to me because you know as well as there's good guys and there's bad guys out there we can't just tarnish them all with saying that they're all bad experience but I wanted to break away from the silent, um, generations of um, silent that like the women before me, like my mom, my nanny, who'd silent their voices out. And again, I went through that stage for a couple of years where I silent my voice out. And I was like, the shame I've brought on my family. And, you know, everybody kept coming around doing of source, like someone had <laughs> died in our house. <laughs> and I was like, I need to get shift this pattern from here to move on. And as you, when you read the book, you can see, like, I've made it a bit of a comedy sketch. Yeah. You know, and to kind of keep it light because life is about having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, it shouldn't be once you've gone through one bad experience, it defines you for, you for the rest of your life. But if anything, gone through that one bad experience, let's educate a community through that process. Let's talk about the change. You know, let's see what we can bring about in dialogue, in policies and other things like that. Yeah. You know, it's really important to do. I mean, even when we're talking about domestic violence right now, there's a domestic violence bill being passed through House of Parliament as we're talking. And what's happening is um, the government is recognising that domestic violence people that are going through it within the workforce should have leave to you know be able to deal with their situation and paid leave yeah they never had any of that kind of services when my mum went through it my mum had to hide it completely couldn't get time off couldn't get again the gp just kind of brushed her under the carpet kept saying you've got depression because you're going through all this it wasn't recognized as much as it is today Mm. mental health domestic violence all these issues are are recognized today but they weren't recognized in the 80s and 90s yeah as much as we talk about the south asian community marital rape didn't become illegal until 91 yeah which that like blows your mind which is like people thought is no is if you're married to that person it's their it's, right. It's, your, it's their right and your right as a wife to perform. So, you know, I found that really difficult. Like, overall, if you look at some of the policies that have come in years later, and that's where it was really important for me. When I started this journey, I started the book with the mindset of I want 1% change. It wasn't about the book. It was just about I want to change mindsets. That's what my end result was. I got far more than what I've bargained because now I've contributed to two policies, you know, in House of Parliament to change them. And it's so lovely to know that I've made those policies possible through, the, mm-hmm. through this journey. And it started off with a book, um, you know, and being able to go to events where I can talk to, you know, the next generation going from, you know, um, corporate businesses, talking to um, people from like um, LGBT community, diversity panel, forced marriages, honor-based abuse, all these things, you know, raising awareness and raising my voice in those platforms, it's given me an opportunity to, A, take on a lot and then share my experience with the people as well. Yeah. Having not spoken to you lot before actually coming, coming on, um, it's clear that obviously you've been able to take such a negative experience and really turn that into, into a positive. What's the kind of work that you do now? Because I know that you're involved in like a, a plethora of like... Um, like opportunities and panels and stuff like what do you do now then so i will so one of my main things i do is with the shuren project it's a charity that supports women and vulnerable women um it's close to my heart because the founder polly harrow who started the charity off um do you know back in the days when there used to be like the whole punjabi saying if some girl ran away from home or someone's done something you know the community would completely ostracize that girl off and I found where, when I was talking to Polly, I related with her straight away, and I met her at your Saheli event about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't know this, but Hardip Singh Kohli had helped her put a theatre play together with all the survivors. Yeah. So again, I was editing with Hardip at the time, and then I'd met her up one weekend at this event. I was editing on the Monday with Hardip, and I'd mentioned Polly to him, and he was like, you've got to work with this woman. She's amazing, what she's doing, and her thought process with where she wants to get the Sharon Project. And it was that that kind of connected us as well. So then I you know, met her up later on, a couple of months later, and we just connected. Mm-hmm. Where when I got married and divorced and I'd left my in-laws home, I went to the local Godwara. And when I went to the local Godwara, I had a lot of the community there coming up to me, telling me that apparently I'd run away from home with all my wedding jewellery. And I was like, <laughs> there's always a story behind a woman that leaves You know, and nobody comes up to her to find out what her story is or take the time to listen. So that really got to me at the time and it really upset me. And again, when Polly started her journey off um, with the Sharon Project, Sharon is the word to protect women, to give shelter. 
And, you know, there was women around her that she saw that didn't do anything wrong, but they got blamed for things. And if you throw a woman's honour into mud and she's like silk or have stains on it, but if you throw a man's honour that he's like gold into mud, you can wash it away. Yeah. So there's that whole difference between men and women as well, the way they're treated within the South Asian community, that whole gender thing. And yeah, guys can do what they want and can get divorced, can get remarried. But if a girl does it, you know, there's always a story behind or someone's made up a story about her. Yeah. And it was that that upset me and made me realise I'm going to stand up. I'm going to speak up to these these communities, these be behind the good <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was about to say, your, your, your fucking former mother-in-law sounded like she was the president of the BBR, man. <laughs> That's like, for anybody that doesn't know, right, the BBR basically like Punjabi C. CIA, right? If they spread a rumor about you, you're fucked. <laughs> like that's it. <laughs> what did I call it in my book? It was something GD, um, the general something. There is a yeah, the, one of the books. Oh, <laughs> I can't remember it. It was right something now. about the general Goddard committee or something. Yeah. It was something along those lines, wasn't it? Yeah. One of those. And what I found was where that upset me the most. And then when I met Polly and Polly told me why she just to, like, just to pause there. What's the craziest rumor you heard about yourself? So we obviously have the one about um, I've run away from home yeah. and I've taken all my wedding jewelry. Um, you were showing it to us before the podcast. It was great jewelry. It was for, for, if anybody wants <laughs> really anything, we'll Bajistan link it to you. style as well, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> Kundan jewelry. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um, and and also, do you know what? How they're measuring up relationships with how much gold they're giving, and you know how big the weddings was as well. And it's we become like the Indian Joneses. Yes. The Indian yeah. version of the Joneses is like, how, who can do the biggest wedding and who's going to have 800 to 1,000 guests? It was all these things that was really getting to me through the process of planning the wedding as well. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. I really emphasized that in the book and talked about, you know, because um, a lot of people had approached me once I got talking about my own journey that the hardship, and I knew one of my friend's parents took a loan out to get her married. It's rife. It is rife. And like my, like my parents talk about it all the time about how people take out loans, second mortgages, um, everything for one fucking day where yeah. that BB that you fucking hate is going to be invited. No matter how good Gordon Ramsay could be eating a pussy out, right? And she's still going to complain about the fucking food. There's going to be someone still finding a fault at your wedding because I remember there was a girl that walked up to me from my in law side and she went, your wedding was lovely, but it wasn't as big as mine. And I went, but your wedding was just beautiful. <laughs> Bro, <it's, laughs> I don't give a damn. Yeah, I'm like totally, I'm totally with you. Like, I don't understand it. Like, it's like you could do everything think, for somebody, think and someone's gonna yeah. find a fault. Someone's gonna find. Like one of my cousins had like the most lavish wedding. He had a three-course sit-down meal, you know, with the whole, and it was out in the middle of nowhere. One of my cousins, Nanny, went. Peanut get peanut I'm like, oh my god, no, you have the, to get one yeah. venue that has to break it down. And if the wedding is too good, somebody will punch the groom in the face yeah. or something. Like, you there's know. always a fight. Yeah, there's always a fight, and there's always someone who's got to set up with that. Now they've also they've started to hire security at weddings. I, I used to you know that, bro. I used to so at uni, at uni, I used to work security, and I used to do weddings. Oh, I used to do weddings, and a lot of them were like. At the time, there were a lot, a lot of um, door checking. So you'd, none of these aunties would ever RSVP. Yeah. Like they think that they think RSVPing and letting you know that they're going to turn up. What number of guests are going to yeah, turn up? Yeah. Like, oh, they come, what are they doing? Like poor people. This yeah. is disgusting. <laughs> so what? I bring like my cha-cha from India. What, what do you want? And like, it was a lot of that. And I, you, I worked a couple of weddings. It was always fucking awful. They like try and pay you in food. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's like. Um, also as well the like the whole process with like I originally wanted to have just another garage and I've always wanted another garage marriage I didn't want to have the whole hoo-ha and the party and everything that was something I didn't want because as being dyslexic and I used to as a child really panic in big crowds you put me in a room with 2,000 people and I'll work my way around the rooms and I'll leave a lasting impression with every single person mm. but if you put me up in front of 2,000 people to do a presentation I mean now I can do it back then I couldn't yeah I was panicking with the guest list getting bigger and bigger because I know every eye is going to be on me when I walk into the divan and when I walk into my wedding reception and I don't want that that was where I wasn't going to enjoy and I was going to get nervous and panic and I was I was actually really nervous on the day Mm. and um, I remember um, you know when should you smile as a bride when should you not when should you do a sexy pause when should you not (laughs) all of those was going through your head should I show too much teeth or not yeah you you had all of that going on as well and then um, you know it was just the whole day was stressful and then you and I also remember we've spent that much money on that wedding not one person came up to me and said 
do you want a glass of water? Do you want anything? Other than my mum Midji did in the morning, she got me jam toast at the Gudwara. <laughs> Bless her. She was the only person that was running around me. But all these guests came, 550 people. But nobody asked us if we've even eaten. Yeah. It was all about them more than us. And that's the sad, sad part of it. And even to the one point where we were hugging guests in the reception. And I said to him, your family or mine? He goes, I don't know, just smile. <laughs> that says it all. Bro, every wedding is like that. My sister, my sister was the exact same. You asked my sister about uh, the wedding. She was like, oh, I don't know. Like, they didn't even do a guest list. My, my, my sister had probably a handful of her friends there, if that. Right, and then all of the other people, she, she was just like, "We watched the wedding take back," and she's like, "Oh, is that the auntie from, from, so from so, that place? And is that the Bendu that we actually knew from like ten years ago?" Yeah. Whereas my parents were sat there like, "Look, we need to invite the the Sital Chacha. Yeah. Bought me uh, my first dog. This dog was bought from that person. They came to the wedding. Okay, that's very important. And they helped us when we immigrated here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but weddings aren't like for the weddings are really for the parents, aren't they? Yeah. Really. And I think that's probably something to change but they'll still if they spend a couple of hundred thousand pounds on your on your wedding yeah because of them they will still remind you every fucking yeah. day oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> so i had like my nanny g my mama g and two of my mama g plus my mom myself contribute to the wedding and they 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 kept demanding more in the sense where oh let's because this whole trend had just come out 10 years ago about having an engagement party let's do an engagement party mm. let's do um you know, engagement party, let's do a rukka, let's do... All these functions were just popping out. And I'd never heard of these functions because when my sister got married, she had a very simple wedding as well, but she had... She did have a, a big Indian wedding, but it wasn't as big as what mine was coming out to be, and it was really stressing me out. Mm. And I just wanted one day to be simple. I don't want to be this five functions and 20,000 outfits later. Yeah. I just want it to be about that one day. And mm. then, you know, the marriage afterward. But we ended up going from, like everything like you know to the gurmai and them even asking for sauna like asking yeah. for the jewelry and ringing up and saying this is what we expect as gifts i found that really cheeky it was the white gold bit as well man yeah like he doesn't wear 24 karat gold because he's not a 24 karat gold son yeah. he's white gold worth Come yeah on. i know that's <laughs> oh my god but and oh i've got to talk to you about this as well again i feel like i'm dishing the secrets of the book but what the fuck was it like being married to a baby, bro? <laughs> like, come on. There's people laughing here. No, no, no. Fuck you, all right? That was unreal. I think that's an issue with overall, in our community overall, in the South Asian community. It's not just a Punjabi. I think it's a South Asian community. Yeah. This is where mothers need to bring their sons up. Um, you know, bring them up strong. Bring them up with confidence. You know, educate them and everything. But keep that separate where... He doesn't leave his wife's bed at two o'clock in the morning to get into bed with his mother. So I'm going to tell you. I, okay, so the, okay. <laughs> you share the story from the book. Yes, yeah, yeah. You've, you've, so no, no, keep it, keep it real light because we want people to buy this fucking yeah, book. It's yeah. important to read, right? So that story, God, give it, give us the, give, give us the cliff notes. I just couldn't sing a lorry. Oh, <laughs> God. I couldn't sing a, a nursery rhyme to him. <laughs> So we had to get up and leave our bedroom in the middle of the night to get into bed with his mum oh, so she God. could sing him a lolly. So when it came to that, so I, I read it, these, these, guys, these guys hadn't they hadn't read it yet, right? I messaged into our WhatsApp group, right? We've got one for the podcast. And I actually said to them, I was like, shit, I think this book's going to end on a massive twist where this dude's having a sexual relationship with his mother, right? I thought somehow, I thought somehow he wasn't going to be related. I found it disturbing, sorry to say. I found it so disturbing when he's left my bed, our bed, shall I say, to get into bed with his mother. And he couldn't understand how I I was confused that morning. (laughs) And I was like, what grown guy in his 30s would leave his partner's bed to get into bed with his parent, his mum? Oh my God. I was quite disturbed and I was disturbed for like days, but he, he seemed there was nothing wrong with it. And I was the one that wasn't being the understanding, caring wife. Bro, I'm telling you, right? I thought I was 100% confident. I was like, shit, this is going to be some messed up twist in here, man. Like, he's going to be like, fucking his mom or something. Something's going to be fucked up here, right? But I, I, I agree. I agree. And speaking as somebody who's been... I wouldn't say baby. Like we've had, we had jobs and shit when we were. Like I think 15. mothers, especially where you know, what's the other little little thing I say in the book? Um, Oli put the syndrome. Oh um, yeah. So where you're, and I'll be honest, we're three sisters with a brother, and again, my mum has like you know, for him, for her, it's been oh my god, he's my son, and you know, my mum didn't get any recognition from my father's side of the family until he was born. 
So, right. you know, she has, but then my brother lost that because he never really got my dad's love there. And, you know, my mum's always been conscious where, because we're a, a women's household, you know, that he hangs out with my cousins, he had the, the male roles around him. We'd go around calling him gay and picking on him as kids and stuff like that, you know, like, come on, we'll plait your hair, you can hang out with us girls and stuff. But she brought us up very different to a lot of other Punjabi households mm-hmm. where, as a single parent, you had to run your home. And in probably a traditional home where you got a mum and dad, the father was playing a certain role, the mother was playing a certain role in our household. It was, I've got four kids, how are they going to help me to get the house chores done? So things were shared between us. Yeah. So, you know, he'd hoover up, he'd even take the bins out, the whole, every single bin in the house out, including the bathroom bin with the menstrual cycle products in there. (laughs) Right. And And at the end of the day, mom never made him think any different of things. So there were certain things my brother did that probably other guys didn't do at their household or they did do as well. Yeah. It depends on, I don't think it's got anything to do with, that's why I say it's got nothing to do with religion or even culture. It's how your family's brought up. Yeah, it's your own familial values. Like if you actually make a concerted attempt, a concerted attempt to keep the sons and daughters the same. Yeah. But then also to, even so if she you don't, brought us up equal. Yes, there whereas you go. though, where in his household, it was very much where he was a boy, he was a first boy, he was spoiled. Then he had a sister who never got notice or any credibility. And I noticed that very evidently when I got into that home. And I made sure, and I've got to say this, my sister-in-law was my rock in my relationship there. Yeah. And, you know, like, we got on, like, sisters. This is Girlene from the book. Girlene from the book. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, uh, she was my little... And then, obviously, her husband, Lovneet, as well. Um, you know, them two were my rock. And, you know, we got on. There was never... And from day one of meeting her, I got on with her. But I also saw that they never gave, like, her credibility in that household. And, you know, they... they we're trying to put her front for me and saying, oh, you know, she's... And then it was pick and choosing as well between us girls in the sense where when it suited them, she's married, she lives under her roof and right. her rules apply to her. But when it suited them, well, look at Gordine, look at Gordine. And it was like, well, you're picking and choosing. And also from speaking to her and knowing her, she told me that she never got any validation from them. Mm-hmm. It was always him before her. And because he's the boy, you know, all Munda, Veja kind of thing, and, you know, not putting, giving her any credibility for things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you see that all the time in, in, in families and stuff. And that only, that only Putta syndrome was the one. That was, that was real fun. I, I know people like that. I know people who are like but 15, I just 16. understand why parents do that, like mothers do that. Love your sons, but love them to the point where bring them up strong enough to give all the attributes to your kids that, you know, that's one thing my mum said to me when I got divorced. The day to perate, I'll say in Punjabi, Jeridan to perate karihona, Ostin son of Manahona, okay, you know, you've made it. Even my mum made you said that to me. Yeah. And today they're proud of me because I'm standing on my own two feet. I'm taking full responsibility of myself in every area of my life. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's the way you should bring both sex of your children, you know, it may be a girl or a boy, you should bring them up strong enough to have your values in them, but for them to know what values they're going to take forward and have their own identity. Yeah. It shouldn't be about them living in your shadow or yeah. pleasing you and that's what we they don't seem to stop breastfeeding their children <laughs> oh <sons>. fuck <laughs> oh you went dark <laughs> let go of that breast milk will you <laughs> it's fine <it's, laughs> <laughs> there's no breast milk i swear bro i do all of my shit myself right <laughs> i don't know yeah I, I i do get it and i think that is a very important lesson and you know as book. sons as well love your parents love them with respect that you give them respect between your life partner and your parents there should be that that fine line of like saying you know what i love you guys too but at the same time this is my life partner and i'm with her and the whole like i, I always think it's like I wouldn't say it's like the fleeing of the nest, but like starting your own nest, I think is a very important aspect. And in your case, it just seemed like you were moving into like a pre-existing nest with all these like hatched children and shit that were like hanging around. But there was never an urge to set up like your own household. There was before marriage, there was a conversation around it. And then that's when obviously I fall pregnant. And then he used that to his top ability to say well we had a five-year plan of wanting to have kids get a property you know develop as a couple um which most couples probably do do like they have a plan maybe a five-year two-year three-year whatever and we had a five-year plan and when i found out i was pregnant two months after marriage and it was considering we'd been sexually active before marriage and this is a question my family threw to him and said what if you'd got a pregnant before marriage what would you how would you have dealt with it then would you have asked to have a termination then yeah i never thought and excuse my ignorance here, that once you're married, that you would have a termination within marriage. 
I never thought that ever. And I remember being at school, having a conversation in religious education about abortion. And I remember saying to the teacher, I don't need to contribute to this because I'm never going to be in that situation. Not knowing years later, within my marriage, I will be pregnant. Yeah. And I'll be having my husband asking me to terminate my pregnancy. Yeah, that, that, that was one of the, after everything in the story, that was one of the most harrowing bits in, in the whole book, I think. Yeah. And how that changed you and stuff. Well, look, emotionally, like looking back on it now, like what, what was going through your head at the time? I wanted the baby, I'm going to be honest, when I, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I was nervous. Don't get me wrong. I mean, these Bollywood films or these romantic films you watch, and they're like, I'm pregnant with a blue line. And everyone's like, oh my God, and they get excited. I didn't get any of that. If yeah. anything, I got the... First of all, when I saw I was pregnant myself in the bathroom, I panicked, I got scared, and there was a part of me was like, oh my God, shit, what am I going to do? How am I going to break this news? How are we going to, like, it's so early in our relationship. Do I want the baby? Even I went through that myself first. And once I'd calmed down, I thought, actually, I, I do want this. Yeah. You know? And once then I brought it up to him, and because I'd brought it up and it'd been like just hours like later, and there were so many emotions going through my head as well and not knowing which way to go and it was my birthday the day I find out I'm pregnant and you know I'm like right we're going to go out for dinner again that whole thing living with the family so we did the whole housework at the house with the family and then going out for dinner and I thought great opportunity to tell him whilst we're alone at dinner Mm -hmm. and as I do that it didn't go the way it was meant to go so we've gone into a and I've gone and I always said this to him, when I fall pregnant, I'll always tell you in a godzvah and I'll come and sit next to you in the divan and tell you. Yeah. So as, as I got up from my side of the divan and I've walked across to his side and I sat next to him and he went, he turned to me and goes, you're pregnant. And I went, yeah. And he just got up and walked. And, and again, maybe this isn't the right question, right? Yeah. Maybe this isn't the right question. But what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, like, normally, like, I understand it's like a shock or whatever, and like, but I don't understand being such a mummy's boy and a family's boy and shit. Like how, in what world wouldn't the parents be like, oh, thank fuck. Yeah. Like firstly, his dick works. Like that's, that's like a good thing, right? He's not firing blanks. And secondly, oh, excellent. They're pregnant. They're going to stay together kind of thing. I think, you know what it is? Overall, people get married to have, start a family. And yeah. you're going to start a family. But the thing was with that situation because his parents and I understood this later on when he expressed to me his parents had had him in the first year of marriage and he felt like and again that's something I'd sensed where I've spoken about earlier where his parents had never done anything individually they did everything together and they lived for the kids so I think for him like just for me how I wanted to live with a family unit for him it was like I don't want to have that 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 marriage my parents have had yeah so it came from that right okay but to me it wasn't about where you're coming from. I'm carrying life. Mm-hmm. I want to give birth to this life. And I'm pregnant. Now that I've been pregnant, it changes the whole of my five-year plan. And my thought process has just completely changed overnight now. Yeah. And I want to go through with this pregnancy. But he didn't want to. Right. And you'll be a surprise when you do look into the South Asian community overall. There's more abortions happening within marriages than outside of marriages. Really? Yeah. And when you get talking to the older generation, they've had abortion for immigration reason, for gender equality especially. We've had more gender equality um, abortions. And when I got talking, and once I opened up in my family, obviously my family, my mama, when you brought me home, and my mom, they sat me down and asked me in detail, you know, tell us what happened, and I did. That's when I discovered how many people within my family unit and friends have had abortion within marriages. Right. Maybe the child was disability. There was a disability fear. There was um, immigration reasons, gender equality, and I was really shocked. Jeez, I I never knew it. Yeah. Like, so you'd be surprised once you get talking to people within the community how many people will come out under the woodworks. But yet these people go to the godwara. Yeah. They go and put this front up within the community. You know, showing that they've got happy families, but nobody wants to talk about it. And this is a subject which is taboo. <clears throat> in a lot of communities abortion is overall i mean if you look at the uk we put an abortion law in the 60s we didn't revisit it until just two years ago yeah um and canadian bought abortion law after us and they've revisited it and remodified theirs we're still living in the elizabeth period until just two years ago we've just you know changed the legislation and you know for the um 
there's two processes you go through, which is a surgical and non-surgical. Yeah. The non-surgical, they've said that the woman can take the tablet in the comfort of her own home, the second procedure, which I went through. Um, you know, and it's taken, what, 50 years to make a change to a bill. Yeah. It's, yeah, it boggles your mind. I think my solution to the whole South Asian pregnancy and marriage abortions thing, start handing out condoms on Broadway, man. <laughs> You, you dirty married fucks, you need to start using protection. <laughs> the 12-pack. 12, 12 yeah, 12-pack. 12 12 yeah. Use them double. <laughs> but oh, it isn't man. even that. It isn't just even contraception. Because, like, I had an issue where I was taking the pill and I was on contraception. I just started taking medication. So I've never taken the pill before. Yeah. I started taking the pill. And it cancelled out my medication. My, uh, my antibiotics cancelled out my um, contraception. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's just having that understanding and it can be a simple, something as simple as that. You know, or you've had an accident with a condom. It can be any a number of things. But There's a lot of, like, there's, there's a lot of areas in our community, I think, the education's lacking and sex, I guess, yeah. is one. Because, like, every, every time, like, you mention, like, sex education to, like, the older generation, they're like, oh, they're going to teach you well, how to fuck. They don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to like, talk about no, it. No, this is, like, an important aspect to learn, like, in later on in life. And, like, all of these facets play, play such a big part in, like, a relationship and a healthy marriage and, and all that stuff. But um, before we end, I really want to talk about something, I mean, again, that you're working with at the moment was the Southall story. Oh, okay, so... Are you able to share that? Wait, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, I'm not working with it, but I've been following the case. So if, if we just go back, what are the organisations, we'll link them in the description below, but what are the okay. organisations that you work with? So it's the Sherman Project I volunteer with. Um, I'm a winner of um, Asian Women Award for Social and Humanitarian, so I'm part of the Women of the Future Ambassadors Programme, which mm -hmm. is part of Lloyd's Banking Group. Um, and then I also do, there's a lot of corporate businesses where I've gone in and done a talk on their diversity and inclusion panels with schools, colleges as well. Yeah. So um, I've done stuff with the Home Office, West Midlands Police, Metropolitan. With that, I tend to go in and talk as a survivor from honour-based abuse where you're training police force on how to deal with cases, CPSs as well in the room. So I think a lot of people just think it's just the book, but yeah. they don't realise there's more to me. Um, and I probably don't put it all out there. <laughs> let's put, fuck it, let's put it out. Because I, I, I generally do think it is important that people understand that. I first, wanted change. Yeah. And that change for me was great. And I realised it's in my voice. And it's the work I do. So I do write a lot of pieces that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, if I'm doing anything to do with the writing side, I have to be strong about I've got to feel strong about it. Mm. And it's got to be something that's close to my heart. Um, that I want to make a shift and change. So with doing all the charity stuff... There's a case called the Seathills case, which the South of Black Sisters have been um, lobbying in House of Parliament. Um, a lot of Punjabi community don't even know about the Seathills case. Um, they reached out to the Godwari for support. And again, a lot of community don't want to support the case because it's seen as honour-based abuse. Again, I found that when I was kind of launching my book. When I reached out to the Punjabi community, people were just closing the doors on me. And it took Hardip Singh Kundal from um, Ernest and Young, which used to work there at the time. And she read my work, connected with it on a personal level, came back to me and said, right, I'm going to launch you through EMY Seek Network. Once I got launched through EMY Seek Network, that's when I had all those people that rejected me come forward and were like, oh, Benji, we want to work with you now. And all of a sudden, I've become from Kalbi to a Benji yeah, yeah. <laughs> overnight. And they're like, you know, even if you want to use our music, you can, all the emails I got. Before that, nobody wanted to work with me because they thought, A, it's not going to get anywhere. B, is it a subject people want to talk about? You know, unless you put it out there, you don't know. Yeah. Like you've got to believe in yourself more than anyone else does. And I, be honest with you, not being arrogant or anything, but I always thought, I want change and I'm going to come about it and I'm not going to give up on this project until it gets somewhere. Yeah. And lucky enough, I had Anne Robinson's um, BBC crew approach me to do the abortion on trial documentary. That came out two weeks before my book got launched. Book got launched on the 1st of November 2017. Then five days later, I was doing a TED talk on honor-based abuse. Yeah. So all, having all three of those things for so in a matter of space of six weeks, it kind of had that energy and that, you know, on social media, everybody was like saying, well, what's, what's going on here? What's this book about? And then yeah. all of a sudden people are picking up the book, um, you know, and then obviously the charity, the work I do with them, I make a bit more noise around that. And then also you had you know, other honor-based cases that have happened. Like you've got, um, there's so many cases. Because I had, when I did my book launch, I had um, 
Polly Harrow, who's the founder of the Sharon Project, Mandy Sangera, who's a human rights lawyer. I had Caroline Goody, who is who carried the biggest honour-based case, but she couldn't make it because of like another case had come up that day, that evening, so she mm. had to cancel on me. I had Pretty Girl, who was the local Sikh MP in Quinton in Birmingham, but she couldn't make it because she got hauled up in House of Parliament as well. Then I had um, Jerry Campbell, who's a senior police officer who'd carried out on a base of cases for the last 30 years. Yeah. And him sitting in the room when he turned around and went back from the 60s up to date with all the on a base cases, a lot of people were shaking their heads and they couldn't believe how many of those cases were seat cases. And Seethal's case was one of those cases, but nobody in the room knew who Seethal was. Yeah. So she was a girl from 2014 whose husband, so they'd, she married a guy from India, British-born girl, and she's had four kids with him, two girls and two boys, and his younger brother couldn't have kids. So he said, well, can my brother adopt one of each of our kids, especially a boy? Because you know what it is with a boy because of carrying the surname and all of that mm. and favouring boys over girls. She said no. And basically on the terms that the education system out there to here is so different. And he's an MP son out there in India. So what he did was behind her back and he'd been abusing her for three years prior to that. And she'd gone home and saying to her family, he hits me and this and that. And like that whole mentality, come on, get on with it kind of thing. Yeah. You know, don't worry about it. Things will get better. So she kept going back and forwards to her parents. And they just kept dismissing her. She decided to go to, um, they decided to go to India and he did a holiday to India where he sold his property, his car. He'd actually um, given his notice in at work and they were going for Vasaki. He took her out there. Mm. First night had the conversation about the kids and if, he, if they can you know, allow the second son to be adopted by his brother. And his brother-in-law, as in his brother, sister-in-law and him, the three of them killed her murdered her out there and the elder two kids had seen the uncle, auntie and the father strangle the mother to death in the room. The kids currently at this moment are in India. They're not, they've, not been, they've not been back in the UK since 2014. Man. And not many people know about this case. And again, what upsets me about this is where you've got a woman and who's been murdered in India and none of the Punjabi community know about this case but yet we've got Free Juggy case we've got Bapu Sarup Singh's case you know human right cases but yet we've got Punjabis lobbying outside of House of Parliament which is great don't get me wrong it's fantastic but then why is there a gender difference because it's honour based abuse and the sharm with the honour based abuse is greater and they don't want to pick up these cases yeah I do I, yeah I, I do agree with you I think there's a discrepancy just in gender yeah. in general when it comes to our community where it's like that case there for example the kids are still out in India yeah. and like unless unless somebody does something about it there's nothing is there like a petition or anything going on well the we'll link it again in the description black sisters have actually um that's where like 2015 in the house of parliament they've had a conversation they had the family there to talk about it and go into detail and that's why I know so much detail mm. um they've like protested they've put the letters forward to Theresa May to speak to the government out there nothing's been done about it yeah. You know, and, it's, and again, they've lobbied places. And hats off to South of Black Sisters here because they have picked up that case. Again, the biggest case where they got recognised was for Kiranji Agrawal. With the, you know, a lot of people would know that case as the film or the book Provoke. And you know, it took, again, someone to raise awareness about some survivor who was just going to be you know, forgotten. forgotten and also jailed for something that she did. She you know, burned her husband alive because he was beating her. Yeah. And all these cases that we keep dismissing and we don't want to talk about it because the sharm in that, you know, and the sharm within our community. Yeah. That could have been me. I could have been one of those girls if I didn't pick the phone up to my family that night. You know, the door locks changed on me. I could have been one of those girls. And that's where I made a choice to raise my voice to the community, to them, to family and everyone, because I wanted that shift and change and we need to raise awareness around it. But I raise it in a way where... You can be intelligent and, you know, talk about it in safe spaces. Like your podcast right now is a safe space to talk about it and people can listen to it. Because there's people out there that don't want to come out and talk about it in public yeah. because they feel like our family going to think differently of them. You know, um, have they, are they strong enough to raise their voice? There's so many elements when you look into it. Yeah, what's, what, that, that aspect of, and, and you cover it greatly in your book, that aspect of like communal shame. Yeah. Like, oh, we've got our honour, we can't, like, let anybody... Like, we need to portray this veneer that, oh, everything in our life's perfect. We would never do something like this. Like, look how respectful we are, look how this is. 
but in reality you scratch a little bit beneath that surface everybody has some problems and unless you confront those and actively try and fix those as a family as a community or however you want to see it you won't get anywhere like imagine like people were putting putting as much effort into imagine people were putting as much effort into these cases of honor-based abuse as they are into their own weddings yeah like you know like hundreds of thousands of pounds one family will spend well, you know, a tenth of that would make a massive difference in, in a case like that. Well, what disappoints me is here, as a godre, we were, we're happy to take the money off the couple and their families to get them and married in an undergarage. We've already now just started to describe, you know, and go into detail about what an undergarage means. Yeah. And making sure the couple understand what, like, what vows they're taking. But whereas though, you know, when something like this is happening to your daughters, what are you doing about it? And there's one thing I can say here, sitting here. There's um, the MP, Pretty Gill, her dad had a um, charity, which he did from the Smedic High Street, Godora in Smedic. And he, from a very young age, where how pretty got into this was where he used to support women. But again, I've lived in Birmingham all my life in Smedic. I didn't even know that facility was there until I spoke yeah. to her about it. And, you know, there were things like that out there, but it was, again so hidden that only certain people knew in the in the community because the sharm around it that we can't put it out there that our godra is doing this server for the women in the community yeah because what are loki going to think of us yeah and it's but bon- if you look at just good night they're just sorry teaching yeah, yeah go on. you know he's he's given dowry he stood against sati he stood against gender equality you know our gurus have led by examples so why are we not having those services within our godra totally agree uh, like hundred percent, uh, I, I agree. What? How? How do Gordore justify like having investments rather than opening up charities? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. But then, I guess you could, you you can make it even more granular. We as just individual people, I think we can do a lot. Like, it could have been very easy for you to have gone through a situation, like you did, clam up about it, or even have that "woe is me" attitude. Yeah. Whereas like, oh no, like, oh, I've got to like take a break or I'm just going to break away from it. Whereas you actually actively are doing something to confront it. I think is a super commendable thing. Thank you. Excellent. Um, I feel like, I feel like we've, we've hit our time there, haven't we? <laughs> we have. I definitely, I, I reckon we could, we can hundred percent, like, I would love to have you on back again. Cause there's a plethora of shit that we could talk about. Yes. I didn't even get into dating apps with you. Like, come on. We can. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. That's another one. What was- what, so what was it like? So how old were you when you... Um... Do you know what? It's so funny because I met with a friend this week and I'm not on Tinder or anything like that. And she was like... Oh, I get rid get of the out. shame out of your <laughs> voice, right? <laughs> no, she said, and she said to me, she goes, come on, get on Tinder. Because I goes, how did you meet your partner? And she was on Tinder. And I went, oh my God. But I did... It was the Asian date. It was that whole... It wasn't... The, um, Asian, Asian date wasn't big at the time because we're talking 10 years ago. It was the Godwara list. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the Godwara list. And it was that South or Godwara. And Havelock Godwara had a yeah, list. Yeah. And apparently Harrow did. I didn't do the Harrow one. I did the South or Godwara one. And then it was... Um, Back then, it used to be... I don't know if you guys remember, now I'm going to show my age. <laughs> high five or something. It was a bit like Facebook, but it was smaller. So it was that. <laughs> no, <I'm> and then, <laughs> okay. And then, um, obviously, the local auntie. And then um, there were, like, dating things you can go to. Whereas in now, there's, like, Tinder. There's loads of other things. So when I did the book... I did Tinder, book, Hinge, Bumble, Grinder. I haven't actually gone on them. And do you know what? I had a friend say to me this week, come on, you got to get on it and get out there. I'll give it a go. Bro, I'm telling you, Tinder would fuck your life up. Probably for the worse, I won't lie. But in the short term, it'd be good. (laughs) How many people really look for serious relationships on there? I doubt it. I don't know. It kind of depends. My last serious relationship was off Tinder. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It depends on what you're like as people. Yeah, oh, no, no, don't even, don't even say same and then don't expect me to tell you. See, without being arrogant. Okay, okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the way that they met, right? Okay. Okay, and this is like gossipy as fuck, but fuck it. So, Japs meets... Comes across Mona's date, dating profile. Okay. On Tinder. On okay. Tinder. And was it a good written one? Like, cause it's, I'm sorry, I have to have it properly written out, otherwise forget it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Was his, what was his profile like? He's got to have spent time. So, this is the thing. He came across mine. Right. Obviously, I said time on mine. I made sure it was absolute perfection. So, <laughs> That's what I mean. I didn't swipe right on him. So, she didn't swipe right. So, so, Jasper did not make any impression whatsoever. But what he did was, 
he went onto LinkedIn from Tinder For God's sake, he didn't to work. find this specific woman right. on LinkedIn because that's she had effort. A, that's effort and kind of kind of fucking weird, right? So he, he DMs her, he gets her full name, gets her on uh, Instagram, right. DMs her, and for some reason this woman decides to respond. So he DMs me. <laughs> right. But there's nothing wrong with responding to that. Go on, carry on. Bro, come on. Well, the thing is, he DMs me. I didn't see the DM for some reason because we're not friends. He follows me. He likes then all my photos. <laughs> so and he's smart. Like, guy. Like, I see that he's DMed me. And I'm like, wow. And now, <laughs> <I'm> like, wow. <laughs> this guy's a freak, right? You would actually think that, wouldn't you? Because when someone's liked all your pictures, you're like, you're freak, you weirdo. <laughs> there's, there's one thing about dropping someone a message and there's another thing about liking every single picture. Come on. I'm, I'm totally with you, right? You could drop somebody a message, but once you've gone through Tinder, LinkedIn, and then to Instagram... Don't get me... Okay, I'm going to And they've been together for two years now, oh, so... Well done, well done. See, whereas though, I'm not going to lie, like, recently, I've actually... I have a crush on this awesome guy, and um, I've gone on to... I've actually messaged him, and I did notice him watching my Insta stories and stuff like that, but... And now you're on his podcast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, meant to be, I didn't like any of his pictures, but I did go through his page. And then I made a point of like, because there's one thing that was quite funny with like um, a conversation we'd had. So I went, oh my God, this reminds me of when you'd corrected me when I was like saying something. So I left a comment and I went, yes, I am going through your Instagram page. I, hey, I like I'm the confident confidence. about that. That's I was like, it. it's okay. But I haven't, I've been meeting people because I do a lot of events and I'm always out and about. I don't know why, but I apparently catch people's attention in different places. <laughs> airports. I've had a guy ask me out in an airport, on a plane, on a flight. Um, I've had, like, on a train. I've had... So, I don't need the apps. I was telling my friend this week. I don't need the apps. <laughs> and then, um, when I'm doing events, the people are like... Just when I just... I'm just a chatty person. I'm quite a bubbly person. So, I just tend to draw in all that energy and not be arrogant, guys. Interesting. Yeah. I, li- I like I it. I like, I like the energy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up there. Generally, a pleasure to have you, you on. Too. We're going to continue this offline. But yeah, Cowboy Baines. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. <laughs>